Welcome back to Moonbeaming, your podcast source of all things alive and beautiful. I am your host, Sarah Faith Godestiner, creator of The Moon Studio, which funds this podcast alongside a group of wonderful patrons. This independent podcast is listener-supported, proudly and proudly listener-supported. Our patrons are the only reason it exists. When they go away, we will. So patrons, if I haven't told you lately, I love you and thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. It means so much to me. It keeps this podcast going. The only announcement for today, and it is a huge one, and it will not be the last time you hear me say this, is that the 2024 Many Moons edition has gone to the printers, deep sigh of relief, and we will start shipping in November. So if you haven't snagged one yet, I highly suggest you snag away. We printed less this year. We sold out last year, as we always do, but I wanted to spend less time worrying about if they would sell which is what happens to me (laughs) in like the beginning of December. I start getting really worried about if we order too many and what's going to happen. It's like the biggest trust experience of my life. I mean, I have many falling in love, being in a relationship, moving cross country, putting myself out there, choosing love. These are all trust, trust falls with the universe. But many moons, it being a limited edition product and us really never knowing how many people are going to order, how many stores are going to order. We just don't know. So I ordered less. I was like, you know what? I am going to be the self-compassionate soul to myself that I try to be. And what would assuage my worrying? And it would be ordering less. So Many Moons, if you are unfamiliar with this project, is an incredible spiritual guide. It is chock full of channeled monthly overviews, tarot spreads, rituals, spells, prompts for each new and full moon, ample space to write, beautiful art, many, many contributors who are sharing exclusive pieces that include recipes and tarot spreads and their ideas that was created especially for this project that you will not find anywhere else. You can use all the content inside always. You know, if there's a tarot spread that really, really hit the spot, you can always come back to it. That's what's really beautiful about it. It's both timely and timeless because if all of this wasn't enough, Yes, it is a completely functional planner with all observed holidays for the United States. It has monthly overviews and weekly overviews, so you can write in every day or write in the months. Like I told someone once, it's an agenda with an agenda, and that agenda is for you to live your very best life and have a place for your goals, dreams, and healing processes to be fully supported. Studies have shown that when we write things down, we have a much greater chance of achieving whatever it is we're writing down. It's called magic, and it's scientifically backed. So now's your chance to grab one and experience the magic for yourself. Today on the cast... We have a gorgeous episode. If you missed it, this October is dedicated to witches because, of course, it is. And today we are lucky, lucky, lucky to welcome the one and only missing witches to Moonbeaming. Risa Dickens and Amy Torak are the co-authors of New Moon Magic, 13 Anti-Capitalist Tools for Resistance and Reenchantment, and Missing Witches, Reclaiming True Histories of Feminist Magic. 
Bust Magazine wrote, Dickens and Torak teach us what it means to create art, engage in activism, and exist at the intersection of witchcraft and feminism. Find their books, podcast, zine, and coven at missingwitches.com. Today's episode is an audio feast. It is a miracle coming your way. It is all about friendship and creativity and spirituality, what spirituality means to them and what magic can be and what it feels like and how to live out your values and still live in this reality and create art and exist with nature. I'm not exaggerating when after this conversation had ended, I told Risa and Amy, I really needed this. You have no idea, but I really needed this. Hopefully, dear listener, you will need this episode too. I present to you a conversation with missing witches. I have the pleasure, the honor to have on some of my favorite witches today. I have Amy and Risa from Missing Witches. Welcome to Moonbeaming, y'all. Thank you. So exciting to be here, Sarah. I wanted to start off by hearing a little bit about y'all's friendship origin story and y'all's working together collaboration origin story, if you wouldn't mind to share with our listeners. I'll start a bit of this story. And classically for the way that we work and communicate, we'll, we'll yes and each other probably all the way through. The fun part to begin with for us in our origin story, we only sort of stumbled upon it in interviews, was realizing that we had met each other in this sort of liminal, weird, performative or pre-performative hatching space of a green room at a Montreal show venue. We were both slotted to play at our mutual beloved friend Krista's Ukulele Bizarro. She performs as Lederhosen and Lucille. Check her out. She's fucking rad. And she was putting on these weird showcases. And Amy and I were both playing, doing these solo numbers that were like as different <laughs> as you could be while still being obviously future soulmates, I think. <laughs> But yeah, we sort of met there. And then we realized later that something about meeting there and then seeing each other's work immediately meant that our friendship, which is what it became immediately, we would just hang out and scream, sing Beyonce together and cry about whatever was going on in our lives. And that turned into magic making when we didn't have outlets when things were too hard for the kinds of rituals we had from daily life. We needed better rituals. That all came after and it all came, I think, because we met each other in this place where it was like, okay, to take our crafting seriously, if you know what I mean. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Maybe Amy can share what that might mean? Sure. I think there's a lot of eye rolling that happens not just when you're a witch but when you're like a human who has to exist in a at least partially toxic world and again then maybe this is part of that that soulmate piece but Risa and I had this sort of wordless understanding that we were not in competition with each other um, we both had different skill sets, but we also were both like working in the same realms. We were both like producing weird show nights and and bringing the freaks. And, and when I say freaks, that's a compliment just for the record. <laughs> bringing freaks together and, and, you know, having having weird nights of art and chaos. And a lot of times when you meet someone who is in the same space, or working space, there's like this like inherent sense of of 
competition, like you are against each other somehow. And Risa and I, uh, again, that soulmate piece, we just never had that. We sort of saw how our puzzle pieces were were shaped differently, but still fit into the same puzzle. And so we've always strived to uplift each other and to to hear out the bad ideas that will allow us to get to the good ideas. You know, you sometimes have to get through the bramble to get to the clearing, but if you don't go through the bramble, you won't get to the clearing. And so Risa and I have this sort of safe space relationship where, like Risa said, we, we take our craft seriously. We take magic seriously. We're never going to roll our eyes at each other when one of us comes with an idea or a fragment of an idea. There's just this like open blanket that she and I can sit on together. And, and it's not like when we, when we talk to each other, we're not like defending a PhD. (laughs) We don't have to have all of our thoughts and ideas lined up in a way that makes sense. Even we can just exist in the mess and then pick through that picnic basket of mess together and and find where the jewels are. And again, I think that like taking each other seriously is a big part of that. That's so beautiful. Is that bramble? (laughs) Is that process? Is that then how missing witches emerged? I'd be really curious to know how the like I'm a creative, so I am mildly obsessed with behind the scenes. Like, how did this come into being? How does how did this come into form? If you could take us through, maybe for listeners again, I'm thinking of the listener who might not be. I feel like you know, there's that thing where I feel like, of course, everyone knows missing witches. Maybe there are a couple, like two people out there and a frog who do not know what Missing Witches is. So maybe first begin by saying, like, what Missing Witches is currently, and maybe take us through, like, what the intention maybe was. I'd really love, I'm going to tell you my intention, and then you can take it from there, however you would like, however it feels good. I'm always really heartened and fascinated by magical making. And in the sense, the the reason why I'm saying it's magical, yes, this is most art. Yes, this is most creativity. Yes, this is most creative projects. But sometimes, once in a while, there's this greater feeling to something that you create something and then it takes on this life of its own almost. And you're like, whoa, this is definitely bigger than me. This definitely had to come through in some way. I am steward vessel. Yes, I may be creator, innovator. And also the the connection or the feeling of resonance with certain people that it reaches, there's just this magic to it where you're like, I can't explain this. I can't take full credit. I know what I did. I'm not saying there's not a ton of hard, long nights and, you know, endless file swapping and editing and, you know, whatever, the eight of pentacles-ness to it. And also, wow, I like created this thing, not even truly understanding what it could be or what it was for not only many others, but for myself, Am I am I making sense? Yeah, yeah. For listeners, you can't see us, but we can see each other. Amy and I are nodding so hard. It looks like we're going to give ourselves a neck ache. We're we're feeling this so much because we completely had that experience of well, first of all, just the name came. A- Amy remembers that I had the name in a dream. I don't remember that. I remember calling Amy though and being like, "I have the name." <laughs> I think it's this, you know, like, I think it's this. Do you want to do this with me? And the impulse was to seek and tell stories, was to write these stories of people we were missing. And so Missing Witches, the project began as kind of an art podcast idea where we were going to make six episodes that we would script 
that would be these meditations on encountering somebody that we felt we'd been longing for. That it was some way of expanding the, the knowledge that we were missing, a kind of history that we were looking for. I think of it now as a feminist history of ideas about spirituality, but at the time it was like, there's something bigger to the word witch, and I don't know what that is, and I want to go person by person, people that I get so excited by that I want to tell Amy about them, and I want, and I want her to tell me them too. You know, that happened very quickly. And then to pair that, we realized with interviews with contemporary practitioners to sort of lean into the prismatic polyvocal piece of it all. And then, yes, of course, like the, what it has become a book and a coven and a second book. And like, it's so much more. And the word missing means so much more. And the word witches means so much more to me than it did then. I feel totally like carried by it and and many days like before an interview like this one or before sitting down to write something for it it is always like a turning to outside like usually to the wind <laughs> to be honest because that's where I feel very like held and just being like can you just like I'll I'll look into the distance when I can't find my words when I'm doing this and can you please meet me there <laughs> you know because like, I I just have to I get sort of idea dysmorphia you know coming into conversations like this where I'm like I I don't remember ever having said anything <laughs> um but can you please whatever all of it is can you please just uphold me in this and so I feel very much that it's a project that is so much bigger yeah, let let me yes and that so much bigger piece. One of my favorite parts of the origin story of the Missing Witches Project, I mean, we were friends for many, many years before the Missing Witches Project became a, a thing. And, you know, we had been exchanging ideas and exchanging books and telling each other these stories and talking about what it means to be a witch and kind of just investigating that, you know, we're, we're not the authorities. We are people who are trying to figure out what the word witch means to us and just sort of sharing what we find along the way. But this, this little piece is, is so in retrospect, so interesting and exciting to me was that I have a habit of making mixed tapes. I don't use tapes anymore, but um, I had made this sort of, it was like a mixed tape Kum sound collage. And, and the idea of it was that the witch stands as this sort of cross-cultural, universal representation of intersectional feminism, where we see strong people, women, and people of marginalized genders. And I had made this mix that has like Beyonce on it and Eartha Kitt and little clips of people talking about what it means to them to be a witch and had made this. And I sent it to Risa. And I think Risa was, you know, pregnant with her daughter at the time and had, uh, had a lot of things going on. So I, when I emailed it to her, you know, she just, she missed the email. No big deal. And when she came to me with the Missing Witches Project idea, the podcast specifically, I was like, oh, like an audio telling of this story, like the mixtape that I sent you. And Risa was like, what are you talking about? Like she hadn't even heard the mixtape that was like so much in line with the project that she wanted to start in it, especially now in retrospect, like to see what we've done together and how far we've come. It really does feel like you know, the Greeks called them the muses, where these ideas are just so important that something in the great expanding consciousness of our universe wanted us to do this, where we both sort of got the same download at the same time and manifested them in different ways, but saw how that could work together. And again, we, we've now, we've been doing the project for five years and it has gone so far beyond what we ever thought. We literally made our first season thinking, nobody's going to listen to this. It'll just be for us and our friends and our family. And again, here we are, a podcast, five years of podcasting, a coven, two books. And it, we just feel so validated and grateful that we we received this download and, and ran with it and had a partner 
who would like recognize that the, the Greek muses or whoever had like bestowed a gift on us that we were sort of obligated to run with. Wow. I mean, that is quite an origin story. I love the, I'm going to be punny. I love that you were on the same like frequency. You created this. It's, and I love that you also brought up the wind and air because, you know, it's a project of air language being carried, like seeds being carried on the wind. Uh, I love that you are on the same frequency. And I was wondering if you could share a little bit about some of the qualities looking back, like you might not in the moment have known what they were, but a five-year project, a five-year collaboration, a five-year art project, many books. I'm going to assume that this is neither of yours like primary income. It is. I am going to use the word. I know it's a cliche. It's a bit of a labor of love. So I'm wondering if you might be able to share the qualities that were interwoven in the inception, creation of it, that allowed it to keep going. And what I mean is I'm as I heard you talk, I also thought of this project as a metaphor for magic. I mean, of course, how could it not be magical? But the sense of not, you know, when we cast a spell or it's often thought of, uh, it's often spoken about when we cast a spell, we put it out into the universe and we can't know exactly how that energy is going to come back. There is spells are this trust fall with the universe. There, it, there is a level of unknown and mystery, and we have to be able to suspend our expectations while simultaneously being very clear and very being very intentional about the energy we're bringing, about what we will do to carry forth, about what the qualities are around this cast, right, so to speak. So I'm hoping you could share a little bit about what some of those building blocks or those foundations were when you were beginning the project that, in fact, allowed it to scatter more, allowed the dandelion seeds to move farther and farther and farther. Could you share a little about that? Yeah, uh, definitely. I think, you know, Risa and I are both both artists and anti-capitalists. and that was so huge for the for the creation of this project is to to bring our own values into the project to try to create a new mode of operation to try to create a new way of working where one of the first <laughs> rules quote unquote that we that we laid out was our podcast our rules we're not going to stumble all over ourselves and all over each other trying to run a race toward this like capitalist dream of making millions of dollars and and you know forsaking our values again in in that pursuit we're we're always doing what we call advocating for each other against each other so you know for example Risa will be like no i i can be there i can do it and i'll be like no, hun, you've got this other thing and that other thing going on that day. And so we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. We're going to make our own rules that feel like they're sustainable, that we're not chasing this brass ring. We're not going to follow this toxic capitalist rules that have been laid out for us in terms of how one creates a project, in terms of how one creates anything, really, where it's this striving and striving and striving. We just wanted to make art together. And I think focusing on that value system is is what has made it sustainable, because our friendship is 
so important to us that we would hate to have the work interfere with that. And I think that oftentimes the opposite is true, where we're trained to believe that the the money is more important than than our value systems. And so Risa and I are constantly trying to keep each other in check. Like, what is it to be a witch? Well, it's it's collaborative. It's nature loving. It's accepting the unknown and still going forward and forth. I love what you said about spells are a trust fall with the universe. And I think any every collaboration is kind of a trust fall. So you have to trust the person that you're collaborating with in order to have what I was talking about before, about this safe space, to have bad ideas, to have ideas that maybe won't work once you really tease them apart and, and take them apart. But again, like the number one thing for us, I think, was to make sure that we were making our own rules, that we weren't being brainwashed by consumerism, corporatocracy, colonialism, all of these things that can make you sort of lose your way when you have something in sight. Oh, yes. And of course, always. And yes, and all of that. Because one thing that reminded me when you're asking the question is that our our collaboration sort of began in this moment meeting in a green room. And then like years later was this phone call, like, do you want to do this thing? And in between, there was a really long time of trust building, right? Like, so I can't take that for granted. Like there was a really long time. There were times where I like, I showed up at Amy's house after ending a 10 year relationship. So so broken i couldn't formulate words and we like got high and and sat on the couch and sang louder and louder and louder until i could breathe again and i was coming out of a place of being so trapped just because of our relationship dynamics not because they were a bad person you know some some chemistry of that was just a complete prison and i don't blame them or myself really but but it was, and there was so much repetition in that prison. And then I sat there and Amy was caring for her dad, who was quite deep in dementia, and he was repeating things. And I felt this echo in our lives, you know, that we were in these these echo chambers and that we had chosen them and we were loving to them, but we were also going to love our way through them. And we were going to, like, tell each other the fucking truth, like... That was what I felt with Amy from the beginning. And it wasn't, it grew, you know, but it was there in the first moment, you know, (laughs) like it was like, I'm going to sing, she was going to sing something that tore everybody in the room's heart open and she was going to laugh a bit about it. And that was just what was going to happen. You know, there was just a total fearlessness about how honest that was going to be. And so I always felt like this was a person to whom I could say the wildest theories I had about how the universe worked and they would yes and me, you know, (laughs) like they would never laugh at me for not catching a musical reference or for not having read a book. That was just never part of our fucking dynamic. It was like, you haven't, oh, I'm so excited to share this with you. Like it was this relentless joy and excitement, you know? And also I think there was a recognition about being somewhere on a spectrum or or a prism of how brains work, we were both pretty understanding about each other's brains. So it it was always okay to just be like, I always felt like it was okay to just be like, I'm done now. I have to go home and lie quietly in the dark. It's been great. Just disappear or, or whatever it was, or Amy too being like, I'm not functional this week. I'll get back to you. And we carry that in our work, you know, it's like, I can't catch any balls this week. Like nothing is going to happen. I'm just broken this week. And the other person being like, well, I got balls A through six and then we're dropping all the rest. You know, (laughs) it's always been that kind of partnership. And I also think that I see that now in editing. I see that now when we host community events that I feel like we can communicate to people that we love them, that they can show up as they are, that we're not trying to perform an idea about spirituality that we really are just trying to learn from you and connect 
connect with each other and survive what feels like a nightmare world a lot of the time and remember that it's also beautiful and give each other hope. And like, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I'm blathering now, but love, 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 I guess. That's so, so beautiful. Before moving on to another question I have about your latest project, I did want to take something you just said and hope to expand a bit on it because I just prior to talking to you, I said the same thing to the person or I said a similar thing. So I want to hear from you because I love hearing other people's ideas and practices and implementation or embodiment of certain ideas. And what I said was spirituality is not a self-improvement project, right? Like spirituality is not getting to some bar of being this kind of person or that kind of person. For me, at least currently, the function of spirituality is about trying to locate the truth and being with that truth as much as possible, ultimately in service of freedom and of experiencing more love, more connection, and having more intimacy with spirit, whatever you, spirit, nature, ourselves, whatever, insert, you know, name there. And so you said a similar thing. And so I was really hoping that maybe both of you could share a little bit about your thoughts around spirituality and the function and experience of spirituality for both of you presently, just like now in this moment, it'll change in a year, it'll change in two days. Like, what is your take on spirituality and its function and how you experience it? I agree with you so completely that there there is this kind of again modern salesmanship notion of of spirituality as self-improvement and I think for me maybe that was the idea at the beginning that I'm going to make myself a better person through this through this knowledge um but I think for me the real aim or function or gift of my spirituality hasn't been self-improvement, but self-acceptance. To sit in a coven and ask people who are maybe feeling full of shame or fear, like, what if you're just fucking perfect, just as you are? Like, what would today look like if you just knew that you were exactly who you are supposed to be. And I've, I've talked about this before that like, uh, I, I live in the woods, Risa does too, different parts of the woods, but I call it the magnificence of difference where each flower grows in its own time. There are flowers that bloom first, you know, dandelions first in the spring. And then like goldenrod and asters are very last. And all of these aspects of nature are all of that difference is so necessary for our for our biosphere for our ecosystem to function you know we need plants that like shade and we need plants that prefer light and we need plants that like acidic soil and we need plants that like basic soil so for me my spirituality is like again not trying to improve myself but trying to I'll quote Lolly Moon Lolly Moon said that astrology specifically could help us recognize our role in the revolution. So for me, spirituality isn't about trying to rebuild myself in some other image, but rather to look at the world and find that niche where exactly who Amy Torek is fits and works and makes sense and can help to, you know, heal the world and heal myself. And, and interestingly, you know, through that self-acceptance, I, I have improved. Not just that my life is better because I'm happier, but because 
I'm not afraid to exist within the revolution. I see myself as having an important place. You know, there's a reason for everything in this cosmic unconsciousness. And maybe there's a reason that I am exactly how I am. So instead of trying to improve, I'm just trying to accept. And then this has made so much space in my life for joy and love. And again, like not viewing other people as competition, but rather as like this great collaboration between all 8 billion of us and see what happens. Yeah, I mean, what can I say but agree to all of that, right? I'll just say, (laughs) having said that I won't say anything because that's how I work. That to me is like the exhale of my spirituality. It's like this reaching out and feeling in place and feeling in balance. And then there is an inhale that is also the sort of driving impetus of what I would call my spirituality. Because I'm not always comfortable with even having one, right? Like I've been often an atheist and like, Uh, It's just a whole set of questions for me. And so the inhale is that curiosity, is that like deep wonder that is like, let's read everything. Let's ask everyone every question. And every time I hear a piece that is like, this is how I think the universe works and it like chimes with me, then I feel so thrilled, you know? It's like such a cosmic spectacular, unfathomably complex system to get to play in. And so when I come back to feeling like a sense of being driven by something that I would call like a spiritual impulse, the the in-breath of that is, is curiosity for sure. I love that so much. And of course, just inquiring mind to inquiring mind. Risa, is there a lot? Do you have a lot of air in your chart? I'm fairly balanced from from what I've been told by people who know better than I. I think the air and water and earth are quite balanced. And then I always need to like spend time with with fire to <laughs> try to get my, get my fire. I have a longing for more fire, I think, which is why I'm with a furiously Aries husband. (laughs) Raging Aries. Amazing. Amazing. I was just curious because it just kept coming up. So here we go. You just released a wonderful book that everyone needs to get and everyone needs to read. We're going to talk about it. Before we talk about it, though, I want to get meta. And you you, you have brought up anti-capitalism and anti-capitalist ways of working quite a bit. You've been really clear about the ways in which it functions in your relationship and the Missing Witches project. And also my question, I'm very practical and I like to ask questions that other people might also be curious about. And that is, how did you put those like anti-capitalist values or processes in place when you had a due date, a deadline, when there is money involved, when there are contracts, you know, we're not in some like gnome utopia where we're trading bread and, you know, leaving berries on each other's doorstops. Like, I'm sure you needed to have a system. I'm sure there needed to be some kind of structure in place. And there is hopefully compensation involved with all of that. And hopefully there will be more compensation, you know, or whatever. So I was just hoping you could kind of talk about that intersection of like ideals and values and different kinds of realities. Yeah, I think it's such a good question. Um, One thing for us is, we don't see being anti-capitalist as being like small anti-small business or anti-like craft business or like a- any of us trying to like make our story, te- make our piece, tell it in the world, right? Like capitalism has become addicted to itself and become this whole hierarchy of systems that impose a weight that is so much bigger than any of us turning and pointing at each other and being like, you 
you make $10,000 too much. You know what we're talking about is fucking billionaires and like corporations having the right legal rights of people. Fuck that. You know, we're talking about a land back movement. We are like housing first movement. We're talking about like an ethical basic income. You know, like we're talking about concrete systems that show people that they are of value to the systems that surround them so that you're not constantly living in a world that tells you that you don't deserve to exist. Like that's not what the earth believes. <laughs> so, so extracting our value from us until we die is a lie. And it, it's only been around like this. It's like a thin crust, you know? So, <laughs> so we're interested in what is cracking through that crust. And practically, you know, I don't know if this is exactly what you're asking, but I'll tell you this. Like I got laid off from like, like a well-paying marketing job in the pandemic. So partially this project started like in a lot of privilege, you know, like I had the ability to be like, okay, things are kind of settled. I can kind of like cover my expenses with this job. I have a little bit of brain space. Like there's privilege in that being able to make art, you know, like have the time. And we were going into my mat leave right when we launched. And so we kind of used that time we get a one-year mat leave in the Canadian healthcare system, right? So we there's a lot of like ways in which our system also supported us. Once I got laid off, I was on EI. Like my system told me that it, I was of worth, that I was going to be okay, and eased me through this transition into making art full time. And also, like we advocated for ourselves lovingly, you know, all of our relationships with our publishers and people that we've ever had to like contract with, we center the relationship first, like they are going through shit, we are going through shit. So let's just be so kind. We're probably not going to apologize for delays in communication anymore because fuck that hustle grind culture. But we're also going to be so loving and gentle to you if like you fucked up your scheduling or whatever else happened. Like, please, let's just be humans first. So that's a way in which anti-capitalism and our values became part of how we work. But as I was saying, like, yeah, we also negotiated all our contracts. We pushed back on everything to try to get a little bit more because it's important as women, as queer people to be like, you know, as magical people, as people who are speaking for strange, weird ideas against a dominant culture to be like, also, can you pay me more? Can this percentage point go up three points? What about this? Like, is, that, is there movement here? Can you pay my friend for her illustrations? Like, thank you. We love you. Like, we figured we'd ask, you know, like, that's maybe capitalist. Maybe that's just being aware and awake and tough and warrior selves in our weavings, you know, to also protect ourselves and love ourselves and love the people we work with enough to say, let's, let's recognize the best in us and try to care for it. Yeah, I I, I want to add too that like we we do get emails that often start with like sorry for delayed response, and we will respond like email urgency is a capitalist lie. <laughs> you know? It's a lie. Don't worry about it. It's okay if it takes you a few days to to get back to me. Uh, and we have to unbrainwash ourselves to think like. If someone doesn't write back to me within 10 minutes, then they hate my guts. Like there really is this part of my brain that wants to believe that nobody else has anything else going on in their lives that could possibly be stopping them from writing back to me immediately other than that, that, that like they hate my idea. So first of all, email urgency is a capitalist lie. And, and we say that to each other and we say it to other people, but. I wanted to come back to your question about deadlines because for me, deadlines are so important. If we didn't have deadlines, I would still be writing my chapters and they would be 10,000 pages long. <laughs> and everything that I ever thought or read would be in them. But, you know, nature has deadlines too. Deadlines are not an invention of capitalism. Uh, again, you know, I, I live in the woods, so um, my home is largely heated with a wood-burning fireplace. And I know I, I need to get my wood sorted, my, my firewood sorted in August. I know that I need to be 
three months ahead on a lot of things, whether, you know, planting seeds, getting the garden ready, all of this has to happen before the deadline. Um, And so deadlines are fine. Deadlines are fine. As long as, again, we can communicate and say, I need a little breathing room on this. Or is there any way to get an extension? And nature doesn't give us extensions, really. (laughs) So again, for me, like deadlines are a part of nature. They're a part of life. You have to get things done in a timely fashion. You can't plant your garden in the winter. You can't. It's not going to work. You could maybe do an indoor windowsill, which of course I do. But nature has deadlines too. So we we don't have to think of every every point as being these monolithic things. We have to get here at this time, otherwise it's all done. Again, that that urgency is a capitalist lie. And there have been times, honestly, in the past, um, where we just had to say to each other, you know what, there's not gonna be an episode this week. There's not going to be a newsletter this week. And like, no one's going to die. We literally have to say to each other, like, remember, if there's no episode this week, like, nobody's going to die. But if we have to pull something out of our asses that's just garbage because we didn't have the time or the energy or the bandwidth or the joy in our hearts to produce it that week, then for us, it's better to sit back, take a little break take a little breather, come back stronger next week. And we feel like that should be allowed. It's not really allowed in a lot of businesses and business relationships. But again, the value system that Risa and I sort of fostered throughout our friendship is imbued in our business practices. I love that. Let's talk about the book, 13 Anti-Capitalist Tools for Resistance and Reenchantment. Yay. Yay, yay. 13, tell us about that. Take us through, take us through the intention, take us through the structure, you know, take us through however much or little you'd love to share about your newest project. Honestly, there's some inspiration from you in it. And you're one of the first quotes. I don't know if you've seen it in the book, but Sarah's one of the first quotes that starts the entire book because being able to follow in your moon book for one whole year, like shortly after starting the Missing Witches Project, really helped me anchor in my own sense, feeling about what those times were like. Um, So thanks. And we started to meet with our coven on new moons. And we really started to feel that there was a different quality of time almost, you know, that it was like somehow like the word Amy always uses, like it, that it was a germinating time that there was like, it was sort of safe, you know, it was dark. It wasn't like your ideas weren't under a bright light. It was a time where like something a little bit playful, a little bit new could come in. We could try something just like gently and that those small playful gentle ways of like adding to our craft within a, like a circle of safety or friendship had big rippling effects and so that was also the anti-capitalist piece right it was like these are tools each chapter is a tool and it's it's written to sort of be your company with a set of stories around it from real practitioners to be your company through that new moon And the idea also is that they are not things you're going to necessarily pretty much ever need to buy, right? These are tools like concepts. These are tools like that you have access to. Um, One of them is dance, you know, and we tell stories about healing dance and ask the question why a history of colonialism is a history of dances outlawed. And we sort of get into some of those histories of where, where in our bodies have people been keeping knowledge right and how can we find that again when we're in a culture that keeps us so still um another tool is the garden right and amy in that chapter tells stories about bringing plants back to bedsty and the the community around that that there was this choice to not leave but to make it beautiful 
And one decade in, you know, 40 years later, what you see is enormous what was accomplished. So each chapter sort of speaks to the same message that there's a way of unlocking a feeling in our bodies and in our life stories that the future is still open, that change and magic are possible, that you can have that in your life. Um, and that's sort of the overarching message of the book while also being sort of ragingly anti-capitalist and feminist and anti-ableist all and trans-inclusive all over the book. <laughs> And I, I, you know, the the anti capitalist piece, I think, comes it comes so largely from us noticing that um, our consumerist culture wanted us to believe that in order to be a witch, you had to buy these certain things, you had to purchase these crystals or this particular mortar and pestle, and we wanted to create a a book, an idea, <laughs> a philosophy that rejects that, that that understands that everything that you need to make magic to do witchcraft is already a part of your DNA. There, there's, there's no tool in the book that belongs to any specific culture. These are all things that are common to like the deepest hundred thousand year old idea of, of what it means to be human. So again, the anti-capitalist piece comes in a lot with our, our rejection of consumerism and just knowing that we are enough, we have enough. You can't be too broke to be a witch. You don't need a, a fabulous cauldron, but at the same time, you know, those things are wonderful. <laughs> we get a lot of joy from putting on our, our velvet cloak or, or whatever it might be. But at the same time, these are not the fundamentals. We wanted to talk about the foundations. And then if you want to add your accoutrement on top of those foundations, that's great. But just understand that you are already enough. You are already inherently magical by virtue of being alive in this universe. Gorgeous, gorgeous. I wanted to ask, maybe Risa can chime in here, what Again, this is just like in the moment, some of the ideas introduced in your book, what are just like a couple of those foundations, in your opinion, to creating magic or casting a spell or living more magically? Well, one foundation I come back to a lot, and it's such a simple one, but it's the idea of creating a container. Uh, the idea that like boundaries keep things out, but they also make a very potent space for change within. And that seems very common across different magical traditions. And I think it's something that anyone can pick up and begin with is the giving yourself permission, which is something I like to think about a lot. Like when I meet these fierce people like yourself, it's so often a question I want to ask, like who fucking gave you permission? And it's always no one, you know, it's always just you, like you knew you could. So you did imagine that circle in your mind, this glowing circle around you. And the only ideas and spirits and guides, ancestors, species, friends, that are allowed in the circle are the ones with your highest good at heart. And just doing that, I think, makes, gives a sense of power and can offer me a sense of protection and also lets me meet who is it right now today? Who's coming through for me? Who, who is thinking of me? Who has my, my best at heart, you know? That's part of what I love so much about the work we get to do. Because I was doing it anyway. You probably, all your listeners are probably doing this anyway. It's just like the Wikipedia spiral of like, who is this person? Like, who is this? I wrote about uh, Cameron, Marjorie Cameron, the artist. And like, 
what a wonderful spiral to go down and old books to find and to find her art and the people she knew and the loves she had and the worlds of weird magic she was mixed up in. Like you could go down that one alone for a really long time. So I think that curiosity is also a really core tool of your magic. I mentioned it before, but I think that's part of the idea behind this book for me is like, it's similar to how we wrote the last book. The last book goes around the wheel of the year and the intention was really like, this isn't homework. You don't have to rush this. But if you're feeling called to do something to mark this equinox, well, here's a whole collection of people who might be coming through for you right now, who were real people. We don't talk about fictional characters or or gods or goddesses. There's so much value in that, but that's just not what we do. We want to know who lived and like how complicated it was and how horrific and painful and how they left this glorious mark anyway. You know, that's that's the story that comes for us. And so each chapter is really like intended as a gift like we loved these stories these stories gave us something we were longing for them and they met us there and so we want to share that with anybody who also might have that longing it makes me think of this term that i just heard uh it's as we're recording this it's the jewish new year so i'm like deep in you know all of the all of the fun and uh depth of this time but there's this concept that came up in one of the services. Someone introduced the idea of productive yearning, where it's not just like, oh, I'd love a community or, oh, I'd love a, f- a friend or, oh, I'd love a garden. It's like getting your hands in the dirt. It's showing up to the thing where there's two other people and you don't know them and you feel weird. Like it's taking that and I think of the word missing, like you talked about that word means so much to you, like missing and witches. And so it just feels like this really gorgeous in practice, in material form, completely developed or blooming phase of productive yearning. So I'm like, really, I wanted to give that to the listeners too, to think about, we sure do yearn, you know, there's a lot of yearning, My, you know, I yearn all the time. And also, how can that be productive? How can that be not again, not productive in a like, productivity hat, you know, timer thing, but like, how can it be generative? And how can your yearning and what you're longing for or what you're missing be a compass of what you are to like seek out and go towards? And so I just wanted to all caps, you know, highlight what you said, Risa, because I think that's love and action and magic and action and um, taking action in action. I wanted to close out, like, as you know, I, we could talk for, you know, a million years. And I really hope that y'all, when the timing's right and everything aligns, you can come back on because as usual, I feel like we just scratched a little beautiful surface. I wanted to ask you, so you did this great piece, which now hearing your story makes total and perfect sense. I was like, okay, I totally get it. You are one of the contributors for the 2024 Many Moons uh, Lunar Planner. Like one of the joys of my life is getting to ask people I admire, you know, I've wanted, people don't know this about me. But I have like a list so long, like similar to you, I'm so much motivated and generated by people I admire and people I look up to. And so, so much of like my productive yearning has been to try to highlight and connect with people I really respect and admire. And Many Moons, in a lot of ways, as it has been, has been like a group project in a way, right? It could just be me. It's all these other people. And you are one of these people. And you're one of the people who, and having you on the podcast, I've wanted to have you on for like literally years. This is not like the whole timing thing. It's like there's just so much. There's just all the things and so much and da 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 So finally, you're in the 2024 edition and you created a really beautiful ritual and you called it gather your strange and it is about 
taking things that you might not like materials you haven't used in a while, art materials, random things around the home, you know, something that's been in the back of a drawer for, you know, a couple of years or something and creating something unexpected from it. And I'm not going to talk more about it because you'll have to get many moons as well this year to to really get the ritual. But now, again, now hearing your backstory, it feels like this is something that both of you are really familiar doing. Is this like kind of go-to practice you might try a couple times a year? Or is this a way for you to get more inspired? Or if you could just talk a little bit of the functions of both the larger metaphysical conceptual implications of gathering your strange and the like mundane everydayness of it. Yeah. So there, there are sort of two sides to that coin of gathering your strange. And one of them is that idea that Risa was just talking about a few minutes ago of like surrounding yourself with spirits ancestors, people who inspire you, artists, filmmakers, authors, whoever, and and gathering this very strange group of people and animals and mycelial networks and just and knowing that they they want to bestow some sort of message or idea or joy. Um, so gathering your strange is like part one going into maybe a meditation and just thinking about the souls that you want to have collaborate on the work. And again, this isn't necessarily like your friend coming over like Risa and I have done in collaborating in that way, but just surrounding yourself with like a meta metaphysical notion of being in collaboration with spirits, ancestors, with the world around you. So gather all the strange ideas, people, ancestors that you couldn't possibly have heard of or met because they existed 10,000 years ago. It's a very strange notion to be sitting in this like meditative space with a a 10,000-year-old ancestor. But also the other side of that gathering, your strange, is, again, um, we mentioned this in the piece, but Gerber Jones is one of my favorite artists, and he calls it availableism which is literally just like what's around what is literally in this room. I've got some like neon pink post-it notes and I've got this, you know, lip shaped bowl. And, and what, what can I do with these things that are already around? And, and the exciting part for me, I think is that when Gerber Jones gave it a name, it was the permission that Risa was talking about it validates things. When someone you respect gives it a name, it's like it makes it okay. Maybe you think you're not a proper artist unless you have the finest horsehair brushes and the finest oil pigments. And Risa and Gerber and Sarah (laughs) and I are here to say you don't. Maybe there's a cool stick or a cool leaf or a weird bit of moss that you can integrate into your art, into your practice. So again, p- part of that is like, what's already here? It's like this amazing joy and brilliance to be able to look around and realize like, for example, the breath. You know, taking a breath is one of my favorite acts of magic. It's a conversation with the universe that wants you to survive. The universe wants you to thrive. I don't know if your listeners can hear me breathing, but that inhale and transformation and exhale, it's the easiest thing, but it's also like one of the most important pieces of of information and magic that we have, that everything we need is potentially already right here. I really, really needed this conversation. (laughs) So I'm so grateful for both of you for showing up in such eunice and brilliance. Thank you so much. We, as always, share all of the links in the show notes. Uh, For folks, though, who are more auditory and like to remember, 
Where can folks find you elsewhere? How can they get involved with your work, pay you a visit, support you financially, buy your projects, all of the things? Thanks for asking. And thanks for asking us to be here. It's such a homecoming feeling to get to talk about ideas with you. Missingwitches.com. That's home base, you know, we really we've like a lot of people who just retreated to our home base. So you can find our coven there. You know, you can find the podcast there. Um, the podcast is on all the podcast places. It's just missing witches. Uh, we're on Instagram and uh, some social media places. I don't think we're doing Twitter anymore. Cause fuck that guy. But that's the main thing. Oh, and what would I say? I guess. If you are looking to find the book, New Moon Magic, or Missing Witches, Reclaiming True Histories of Feminist Magic, it's always cool to call your local indie and be like, could you order this book for me? Because that puts us on the radar of like really cool indie shops. It's on Audible. We recorded the audiobook ourselves. We really, really are proud of the audiobook. Um, I think it's nice. It was really nicely like engineered this time. <laughs> But also, like, no shade for getting it wherever you get it. Get it from the Amazon. Get it. I think it's a Target. Get your magic wherever the fuck you get your magic, you know? And the coolest is if you request it at a library. That's always so cool. Um, it actually supports us a lot. So don't feel like you're being cheap by doing that. That's really, really being on the radar of librarians is like meeting the coolest witches. <laughs> you know? so, yeah, that's what I have to say about that. Wonderful. Thanks so much for coming and being here. And yeah, until soon. That's our show for the week. If you loved hearing from Missing Witches, and I know you did, please support them. Buy their work. Give them a follow. Request their books at your library. All the links are in the show notes. We make it easy for you. I mean, Google's the thing too. You know that. They've made it really easy. They don't have a bunch of different handles and things like that like I do. Uh, the joys of being a tornado person. If you liked this episode, please support the podcast. Share this episode with three friends who you think might like it. Give it a shout out on social media. Give it a review if you haven't given the show a review yet. Word of mouth is how we grow. And if the work has supported you in any way, please support it in any way that you can. Another thing I'm thinking of doing and probably will do is looking for advertisers and sponsorship. So if you have a small business, if you have a freelancing business, if you are a practitioner or facilitator and you would like to advertise on Moonbeaming and have thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of incredible people find out about you, then you can contact the podcast as well. Just putting it out there. We'll probably be starting to have ads and sponsorships so we can continue keeping this going. Lots and lots of love to you. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you loads to Amelia at Softer Sounds for your expertise and talent in supporting this show. Bye for now.